Athletics in the UK presents us with a paradox. At the grassroots, jogging, fun runs and city marathons are more popular than ever. But participation in its more organised forms lags way behind. It occupies a special, even revered place in our sporting culture and history. But outside of the Olympics, its commercial and television appeal has been limited. To ponder these dilemmas and others, I'm delighted to be talking to Ed Warner, the Chair of UK Athletics, charged with directing grand strategy for the sport and preparing for the challenges of the London 2012 Olympics. Ed is unusually suited for the task. He's had a successful career in business and the financial services industry, and he's combined this with a dedication to marathon running. Hello, Ed. Hello there. Ed, what do you like about athletics? Well, you've summed it up really in your introduction. Athletics divides into two. So I love running. I love running marathons. That's a very personal thing. It's the way that I keep fit. And just adding that little twist of competitiveness when you're on a start line with hundreds or thousands of other people just gives you something to train for. But, of course, the organised sector of our sport, running, jumping, throwing, track and field, has a completely different appeal. And for me, it goes back to the very basics of the original Olympics. You see those old statues of discus throwers, the etchings and drawings of runners. It's the most basic of sports. It's the oldest of sports. And, and the thrill is the simplicity of it. Can you throw further than somebody else? Can you jump further or higher? Can you run faster? These are very raw, measurable things. And, and watching people strive to do those most basic sporting things, to my mind as a spectator, is very exhilarating. So why aren't most of the spectators and most of the punters sharing your opinion, do you think? The problem, for my mind, goes back to school sport. I think you have to capture the imagination of children at the youngest of ages, and they'll carry it through life. If you look at the other major Olympic sports, think of cycling, think of rowing, sailing. These are th- sports which are only really watched every four years. You get this quadrennial interest, surge of interest. Why is that? Because there's something about the Olympics, something iconic about it. But in, in the rest of the time, it's fallow. Children don't participate in those sports at school. They're not steeped in them. They're not schooled in them. There was a time when that was the case. Athletics was the summer sport in the UK. Now athletics might feature maybe only once or twice in a summer term. Why is that? Why has athletics been shunted aside, do you think? I think there's two reasons. One is the facilities are quite demanding. Now, at the most simple, marking out on a playing field a 60-metre or 100-metre track in paint is quite easy. But think of all the other disciplines, health and safety, equipment, quite demanding. If you want a proper 400-metre track, it takes up a lot of space. It's only used for a brief period each summer and it's incredibly expensive. That's number one. Number two, our sport has always been essentially amateur, and we're now competing with some big, heavyweight, wealthy sports that are reinvesting their profits from the professional end of the sport into grassroots developments. Cricket now, everybody's talking about the 2020 revolution, the short form of the game. What you don't see when you just read the newspapers is the 2020 revolution is being driven down into schools, Kids are being taught different ways to hit a cricket ball. The reverse sweep is something that's now part of the coaching manual, a shot which wasn't even invented a few years ago. School cricket is being structured differently. The games are shorter, tighter, playing to the new rules. So cricket is being able to cascade down the wealth from the top of the game all the way into the schools. Now, athletics is not a wealthy sport. It's never been a wealthy sport. If I look at the income of UK athletics, it's about the same as a second-tier football club. Last time I looked, Southampton Football Club, which teetering between, at the time we're speaking, between the second and third tier, if you like, of English football, has a greater income than the whole of UK athletics. That's an incredible distinction. So to my mind, we have to find ways 
to get kids running, jumping and throwing, if they can experience what it's like, then as they go through life, whenever they see the opportunity to watch top-level track and field, whether it's on television or maybe at a, an event near them, they're much more likely to go than if it was something alien to them. Think of a very expensive white middle-class sport such as rowing. The vast majority of children will never, ever, ever have that opportunity. In athletics, at least, because at heart we're a very simple sport we have a chance to sustain a sport which is essentially not the exclusive preserve of the wealthier classes within the UK this is an urban sport it's a black sport it's an Asian sport it's a working class sport everybody has the opportunity to participate in it and that's something we must celebrate and sustain I mean let me take you up on that point about the social basis of athletics I mean certainly in terms of who are our elite athletes. There's a very serious over-representation even of black Britons. And yet, historically, athletics has an extraordinarily elite profile. It held on to its amateurism longer than anywhere else. It held on to its elite connections and its elite administration longer than anywhere else. And if we think of the great historical icons of uh, British athletics, you know, we're in the realm of chariots of fire, Oxbridge Blues and so on. How much of that legacy remains? And if that legacy does remain, what impact is it having on the way the sport is perceived and organised? I would say that legacy is completely destroyed now. And the UK Athletics, which is the governing body, grew out of its predecessor, the British Athletics Federation, going bust in the late 1990s. At that point, all of the past was switched off. It was an amateurish organisation which was poorly organised from a financial perspective. And what's grown out of that since then, helped by public funding, has been a much more professional organisation. Now, if I take you round, whether it's our elite training centres or round grassroots athletics, you will see the cultural diversity that is absent in most other sports, not only in the participants but also in their coaches and increasingly in their administrators. So if I took you to Lee Valley, for example, where we have an elite training centre which is used exclusively by UK Athletics in the morning, you would see a significant proportion of the coaches are not white middle-class men, which would be the case in many other sports. And I think that's hugely encouraging. The real challenge for us is to persuade kids in those local areas to take up athletics and not another sport. So I'll give you an anecdote in that regard. We had, out training out of Lee Valley, a youngster who got a silver medal in the European Juniors last year, and I was talking to our training centre manager there only a few weeks ago, and he said, look, Ed, this kid isn't even the quickest in his tower blocks. He's a quicker kid. And I said, well, how do we persuade him to take up athletics? What's he doing at the moment? Well, he's on West Ham's books, but he's not going to make it as a footballer. But our challenge is to persuade this kid in the nicest possible way. He's not going to make it as a footballer. But, of course, the lure of football, the money, is huge. There may be lots of other unearthed talent. The job of our talent scouts is to find it. But they will find it not at Cambridge University, although that might be the case, but much more likely, law of averages, they're going to find it somewhere in the streets, in a playground. And there are a number of initiatives. Street athletics is one, for example, where 60-metre dashes are created in urban environments and kids are encouraged to come along and try it. The challenge then is to pick those that come across the line first, second, third and say to them, did you know there's a club down the road? Did you know there's all these other things you can do? And try and engage them in that process to become committed. Let me take you back to this problem of competition with other sports. Football works on television. Cricket works on television. I'm not sure athletics works on television, even when it manages to get some of the precious airtime that's available. Is there something about the way the thing is formatted? Is there something about the way it's presented that is an issue where we could be doing better? Absolutely there is. Athletics is not a great spectator sport for an entire afternoon. 
there are adrenaline rushes around individual events and you may not even know what they're going to be ahead of time whether it's 10 seconds of excitement in 100 meters or you get four minutes of excitement in a 1500 meters or one throw in the javelin competition and you've got to sit there for a while for that to happen which again is not appealing to today's youth interestingly if i took you to an indoor athletics meet and then an outdoor one back to back you would find the indoor event much more appealing it's a more compact arena you've got a 200 meter track not a 400 meter track you're on top of the action you can jazz it up with music noise bright lights in a way which you just can't do outdoors when it's a it's a big sprawling arena so we are looking at ways in which we can boil down athletics into shorter terser opportunities the one thing i've gone public on maybe it'll happen one day we certainly look at things like this is a 100 meter race up the mall could you bring the eight best sprinters in the world and lay out a temporary track up the mall put up temporary stands i don't see why you couldn't have a shot put with reese hoffer and and others who are big personalities out of america the world's best shot putters in trafalgar square so we're looking at some different venues for athletics that would require the sport to be configured in different ways that would make it more showbiz what is this showbiz athletics going to look like you could conceive of the o2 arena for example being dressed as if for the Cirque du Soleil spotlights more darkness than light if you like you couldn't get a 200 meter track in the o2 but you could get a sprint straight you could have jumps pitch you could have high jump you could have pole vault if you can watch the pole vault up really close it's an amazing event now can you showcase each event can you showcase each piece of athletic activity but we can't get away from the fact that athletics is ultimately a participant's sport and i think that's great why is it inevitably it wasn't in greece but i think we've moved on from ancient greece <laughs> in discovering team games all these other games we've just been discussing whether it's football cricket rugby these are team sports team sports have tactical dynamics to them which they're not always absent in individual sports i mean i can think of boxing for example golf. lots of tactics i don't think golf's a great spectator sport in britain people turn up to watch the open and uh, that's it tennis does anybody ever turn up to watch a tennis event in britain apart from the wimbledon fortnight what sports are there where people will turn up week in week out mm. and watch football rugby union rugby league cricket in some formats but not your average county game over four days horse racing if they banned gambling were able to prohibit it entirely what would the crowds be like at your average race meeting how would you feel about the arrival of the gambling industry in a big way in the athletics i wouldn't go for it at all we're already a sport which has problems with drugs add in the gambling dimension then yeah could i watch any single race and believe that it was straight no well on that subject if i go to an athletics meet these days in the uk how confident can I be that any of the events are straight? How, how widespread is the problem, would you say, at the moment? In the UK, I don't think it's particularly widespread because the testing regime, which has been brought in in the last few years, is now extremely stringent. The high-profile drugs busts in recent years have tightened up the testing regime dramatically, and that had to be the case. Interestingly, I, I think that you could ask that question of a number of other sports and you'd have some coughing and spluttering and ducking and diving. And I think, again, the team environment probably makes it easier to overlook. Do people sitting in the stands care so much about a member of a team who's used drugs to allow them to train twice as hard? Probably not. Do they care about eight men lining up to see who's the fastest in the world? If one of them's on drugs and seven aren't, they probably feel cheated by that. In How that do you regard. feel about the prospect of watching eight men line up to see who's the fastest in the world where everyone's allowed to take whatever they want the pharmaceutical level playing field i think if there was absolutely no physiological long-term physiological consequence or damage from it you would say 
well, okay, that's science, that's the world we live in. However, nearly all of these drugs are demonstrated to have long-term damage to the individual concern. So I would feel like I was colluding in people abusing themselves for my entertainment. It would be a bit like watching the lions fighting the gladiators, and it might be quite exciting watching that happen, but actually I'm colluding in something which could result in a bloke having his head bitten off. But is it not the case that the kind of training regimes that people are going through anyway young women in gymnastics or the people at the very top of American football whose training regimes and body transformations, drug-free, are so intense that actually their bodies and their long-term health actually is really, really seriously affected. No, I do, and we see that in athletics. Our elite athletes become like thoroughbred horses and much more prone to breaking down than you or I. I don't feel bad about that. I think that's the challenge for the coaching staff the sports scientists and the athlete themselves to get the best out of themselves without breaking down. And that's their trade-off. I mean, if they do break down, they're out of the games. So it's about finding their optimal degree of fitness and training and conditioning. I can think of one young sprinter of ours who's a good 2012 prospect. I mean, he's a known name who's been pretty prone to back injuries at a young age. And if you spoke to our coaching staff, they would say the guy's been given the wrong conditioning as a teenager. So we've taken him on, if you like. He's reached elite status. He's got quick enough. He's now in our program. He's lottery funded. But he's too bulky at a young age. His body's been put under too much load as a teenager by inexperienced coaches. And a lot of the work that our staff are doing is unpicking the damage that was done as a teenager. Now, do we feel good about that? No. Do we think we can make a champion out of him for 2012? We hope so. What's the lesson for UK athletics? It's to improve the standard of coaching all the way down the tree. The taxpayer gives us £9 million a year. We fund 40-odd athletes to be full-time and about 150 athletes to get small sums of money to assist them in their training. And that £9 million quid covers the cost of our coaches, sports science, travel to games, all the logistics, etc., etc., The average elite athlete of those 40-something who will get from the taxpayer between 12 and £24,000 a year. Now, on top of that, they're going to try to get some commercial income, some appearance fees, some prize money and so on. But the taxpayer is putting into each of those elite athletes 12 to 24 grand a year. So what are we getting out of this? I mean, we get a thrill at London 2012 and the flag goes up and we do the anthem. Is there a wider social or public good being served here? I hope there is. The athlete to look at where you can see that social effect taking place is Kelly Holmes. In Athens, she won those twin gold medals, something that Sebco himself didn't even achieve in his heyday. And those were clearly iconic moments in British sport, covered the front and the back pages for days afterwards. And they replay the video of her victories many times. Now, how is Kelly Holmes using her success for the betterment of British youth? Well, she's got a number of initiatives working with us, with UK Sport, with Norwich Union, who are our principal sponsors, to get out and about in schools up and down the country and to talk about athleticism, athletics, what being a sportswoman is all about. And she's got some programmes which identify potential middle-distance females. And I would say that she's a very good example of taxpayer-funded Olympic success, which is being turned into schools to create, hopefully, more physically active and sportingly ambitious children out of the population. In the 1980s, athletics was sexy, it was popular, people were interested in it. And then in the 1990s, it seemed to almost sort of just disappear off our collective radar. What happened and and what are you trying to do about it? 
It goes partly with medal success. We can think of the iconic names of the 80s, with Tessa Sardison, Seb Coe, Steve Ovett. Yeah, the list was a long one. And you could argue, with Daley Thompson, people say, well, there was a great character. And he, is a great, he was a great character. He remains a great character. Do we have great characters in the sport today? Maybe not to the same degree. But actually, Daley could have been a great character. If he hadn't won a gold medal, we'd all have forgotten about him by now. So it starts with medal success. And the 90s was a very fallow period for us. You think of Jonathan Edwards... Colin Jackson, Denise Lewis, that was sort of it. It's been even thinner still in the new millennium. And the task for UK Athletics is to ensure that we generate some gold medalists and we can build recognition for the sport off that. And I would say look at tennis as a, as a comparator. British tennis, the LTA, are having to build huge amounts around one British tennis player at the moment in Andy Murray. Before that, they built it around two in Hem and, and Rosetsky. If you look at the number of British tennis players ranking in the top 100 at the moment, as I understand it, it's gone down from two or three a couple of years ago to one. So every year, even more expectation is heaped upon the one guy you've got who's vaguely near the top of the rankings. That, to my mind, is a recipe for terminal decline in British tennis. So we've got London 2012 coming up. That's a once-in-a-lifetime experience for anyone who is British. It won't be here again in our lifetimes. If you want to sustain the sport as we want to sustain the sport long term, we have to have successful athletes that children can identify with and that will sustain them through their own future training. Kelly Holmes, Paula Radcliffe. It's no coincidence we are at the moment much better off in junior women middle distance running than men's middle distance running at the junior level. Why? Because there are schoolgirls who've been inspired by those two athletes. Do you think we fail to be realistic in this country about actually how much we should be winning and how many stars we can potentially have? Because in the end, we're 60 million people on a pretty obese, pretty slack, pretty lazy post-industrial island, and there's over 6 billion hungry, skinny other people out there. What are actually realistic are the chances of us ever having a significant presence in world athletics, given the global balance of power? It is odds against. There are more members of the International Athletics Federation, the IAAF, than there are members of the United Nations. At the last World Championships in Osaka in 2007, the men's high jump was won by a guy from the Bahamas, Donald Thomas, who had never high jumped 18 months before. He was a basketball player. And he was lounging around in the gym with his mates at a break in training. And there was a high jump bar up in the corner of the gym. And someone said, I bet you can't get over that. But I think it was 1 meter 80 or something. And before you knew it, he was over 2 meters. And they went and got the coach and said, watch this bloke do this in his basketball shoes. Within 18 months, he was winning a gold medal at the World Championships. Now, that's the joy of athletics. The Bahamas wins a gold medal because you can come from anywhere in the world in an individual event, and you can medal. We talk about the heyday of, of British athletics in the 1980s. Well, that was in a back-to-back -back Olympics, which were boycotted, firstly in Moscow and then in Los Angeles. Lots of nations were absent in both. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Seb and Steve Ovett and Daley Thompson and the others, but the degree of competition for a gold medal was less 30 years ago than it is now. If you look at the number of medals we won at Olympics down the years... A haul of five or six medals, not golds, but medals of any colour, is about what you would expect. So London Olympics, you know, are we likely to win 15 athletics medals? No, we're not, because we never have done. What you want to do is ensure you've got lots of Brits making finals. So if you get a ticket on the Wednesday night and there's the Hammer final and there's this final and that final, you look at the programme as a home supporter, you want to see some Brits on the programme. So our job is to get them into finals. If you get enough Brits making finals and getting them in the mix, some medals will get shaken out of that. But there's not going to be loads because it's a genuinely globally competitive sport, which I think is one of its huge appeals. I don't want to denigrate cycling or rowing or sailing or equestrian where we get lots of Olympic medals each time round. But 
you know, how many countries in the world have got a velodrome and have got all the money to put into the high technology bikes? Not that many. So you get, what, 10 competitive nations in track cycling, maybe a dozen worldwide rowing similarly. So the medals we get are very precious in those sports, but you've got a, an intense, concentrated set of nations who you're struggling with year in, year out to get the technological and physiological edge. In athletics, it's much more broadly spread. That is one of its joys, but you have to appreciate that you're never going to be dominant. Thank you very much, Ed. That was great. Thank you. Not at all. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.